Hey, welcome to Humans of Magic. My conversation here is with Magic World Champion Javier Dominguez from Spain. I had a great time talking to Javier because I think it gets to the heart of what Humans of Magic is about. The podcast is an attempt to understand and deconstruct how great players think about the game of magic. Sometimes it's not a great player, but a business owner or a content creator. Regardless, my curiosity is to understand how and why people do the things that they do. Here, we deep dive into how Javier plays at a world-class level, his mental models, heuristics, and even how he had to tear down some of his methods to improve. I found Javier to be incredibly open to sharing his process, which is not something that often happens with guests. I really respected that kind of complete openness from him. So yeah, if you'll excuse the pun, the conversation was pretty magical. It's also one of those interviews where we just went straight to business, very little small talk, and that's kind of the way I like having these types of conversations. I also want to mention that this episode is an audio exclusive. I don't think YouTube likes long-form interviews, so I've stopped posting them. But if you're a member of the Humans of Magic Patreon, you can access a private version of YouTube with this episode with video so that you can enjoy our facial expressions. So yeah, let's get right into it. This is Humans of Magic with Magic World Champion Javier Dominguez. So how would you describe your theory of magic? Is there a way to ascribe it to a commoner like me? Like, how do you, how do you see the world? Like, how do you, or maybe, maybe a better way to ask is like, what are you seeing about magic that maybe other people, most people don't see? I think the, the thing I do with magic is like, I try to structure um, most things I, I see in the game that I can convert into language. Like I really put effort into putting things in a way where I can explain it even to myself. Like I can just verbalize what's going on in the game. Uh, sometimes that involves actually putting random names to random concepts. Uh, but that's just to like, have a label. Yeah, just to have a label because the second I have a label on something, it's much easier to extrapolate that situation to other situations because I can use that label, right? And that uh, we have a lot of labels that are like somewhat random, but as long as they're explained, once you explain the label, it just becomes a word, right? And then you can use it. Up. So uh, I tried to structure what's going on in the game like this, and that includes like, you know, uh, why some kind of limited decks float more, why other decks need more lands to actually like function fast and limited even though the mana curve is low like a, a lot of concepts that are like known by magic players where they are not often talked about because they are a little bit abstract i like to actually label them and i think that's something that i might be doing more than other people a lot of players are extremely good at playing the game but they're not as good as as they are at articulating what they're thinking of like you ask a player and they will be like well this is the best play but i cannot really tell you why right i try to avoid this because to my understanding, the way I get better is when I fully understand why I'm doing things. Like, if I understand why I'm making that play, if this play is wrong, uh, that's how I can make it better, right? Otherwise, it's much harder to, because I have to scratch, I have to work from scratch. If I have this structure, I can actually just analyze the structure and see piece by piece of the whole, like, sequence where I can get better. Does that mean that you're looking for kind of a repeatable decision-making process. Yeah, exactly. Like, to me, uh, magic is very hard. Like, the game is extremely complex. But I, I try to make it as easy as possible. Like, whenever I play a deck very well, this actually means, well, I have made 
most of the decisions so many times, they become a repetitive process. So I can actually focus on the new unique ones instead of having to think on the other ones. So that's actually what I'm trying to achieve. Are there cases or instances where you can't find a language to describe what you intuitively feel? There must be these times where you feel like you have a magic player's sixth sense, not even as a pro, but just as a magic player in general. And then are you trying to find the language after to explain what you did or rationalize it? Or are you just, are there still moments where there's just kind of intuition that cannot be verbalized? Well, it does happen. Uh, you know, I think experience is part of it, but it definitely happens a lot. Like it's, I don't think it's uncommon even you're playing a game and you have a sequence that's very unique or a type of play you rarely make. And, and that's fine. I think that's a good thing. But what I try to do, though, afterwards is try to label that so I can recognize it again. But that, there's definitely spots where, where it's not easy to, you know, like explain why you make a play. Like you, you're like, well, I feel this is going a, in this direction. And that's fine. Like we're still human, human beings playing magic, right? And as the name of the podcast says. But it's, um, I think it's also good to accept that it doesn't matter which system you have to actually like learn or, or see the game. It's going to be failing sometimes. How did you decide to approach the game this way? Did you always have this idea or was it developed over time? I, I would say it was developed over time. Uh, I used to play a lot of Magic, like I said, John, uh, young player back in the day. Uh, but it was, it was decent. I got to the PT and the such, but it, it was, so it was definitely way worse than when I played this and older, older men. I uh, have also a poker background, and I will say the mix between having played a lot of Magic and the poker background, because the way you learn poker is a little bit like this as well. Like, I, I worked as a, had, like, this, like, poker coaching systems as well. So I will say it probably comes from the mix of both. Tell me if you agree or disagree, but my understanding is that to become a high-level competitive poker player, you actually have to spend more time studying the game than playing the game. Like, there are definitely benefits to grinding poker and playing lots of hands and doing pattern recognition. And, but I think there is a, quite a significant amount of time studying as well. So I want to first ask you, is that, do you agree with that general sentiment? Yeah, obviously it depends on each person individually. But yeah, you have to study like a large amount of time. Like, it's going to be a different percentage for everyone, but it's definitely not a 5% of time. It could be a 50, it could be a 25 or a 20. But a significant amount of time you're working as a poker player, you have to be like studying. So do you think that perhaps Magic players, if I extrapolate your experience, perhaps Magic players don't study enough and they're playing too much? Or is there some sort of different way to look at it? Well, I think it depends on every player. Like some players, I mean, everyone knows a friend that's very good at picking up decks, right? You, you lend them a deck, and the first game they play, they already know it. That's not me. I'm like a slow learner. Uh, I think it really depends on the skill set you have. And I think there's a certain amount of players that will do better if they study more, but some others actually are better the way they are, just playing more. Like it I think it depends on every individual being. For me, approaching magic in a way of like, studying the game to understand the game to actually then learn the game that's what worked for me the best i don't study the game as much anymore but i used to do it like like a lot like i'm talking like a few days a week like even full mornings or whatever just studying games again and again like i did this did a lot like 
back in the 2017, 18, 19, those years I used to do this mm -hmm. quite often, yeah. And I understand you're trying to get back to it, right? Because I listened to your you're an episode for the Carnies and you mentioned wanting to tighten up your technical play. And you, I think you described like getting the equivalent of cardio or just doing like more of the thing. Like, can you talk about that a little bit? Like, cause I know you talked about it in general on your podcast, but like, so are you looking to tighten up the technical play and like, does that mean studying magic more or what aspect of it for this year? Well, uh, this is a difficult situation because uh, every person is unique, but also every moment is unique. So I know what worked for me like seven years ago, but I don't know right. what will work for me now, right? So you've changed to do, too, right? Exactly. Yeah. Everyone changes, right? And my level changes on game also changes. So what I want to do is just try to see if studying more games is good, but maybe what I need is just to play more. I, I don't mm -hmm. know. Like I, so the first step here for me is to figure out how can I actually get better at technical play, because you know, even if I'm the same kind of like the same person, the fact that it used to work doesn't mean it's going to work now. So I have to first answer your question. We, but I don't know the answer. But I, how do you but, even evaluate yeah. that? I, I, because I, I think people listening to this would be curious, myself included. Like, how do you? Is there some sort of inventory you can do on yourself? Like, I, I don't know how it works exactly. Well, I think it's a matter of also being honest with yourself in terms of like sometimes you make mistakes for different reasons. If you can actually be like absolutely honest about why you think you're making mistakes because sometimes mistakes are made because you were, you know, uh, scrolling on your on your Twitter phone, you know, and, and mm -hmm. that's fine. But to me, it's obviously, I mean, at the end of the day, it's about feelings, about how you feel about why you're doing things. But I would like to think that I have a decent sense of what's making me play wrong uh, based on experience. So I, well, what I usually do is just trial and error. I just try to work on a thing and see after like a month or two if I see some changes, some improvement. If I don't, well, just move to something else. So that's, I see. So no it's real, like a trial and no error. Real, yeah. yeah it's, there's no secret formula. At least I know. <laughs> like, I don't okay. know anything better. <laughs> Along these lines, are you still, um, do you still get upset with yourself or do you still get frustrated at times playing Magic? Or is that something that is the 2017 Javier? I mean, I get I don't think I will not say upset is a word for me in this context, but I do get frustrated sometimes when I'm not performing as well as I think I should. And I don't have a convincing reason when the reason is like, well, I was not focused enough because I was thinking of something else while I'm like, you know, spending time to travel somewhere, sacrificing a lot of like human resources in terms, in terms of like, I stopped doing other things to prepare for this tournament, right? So if I don't perform well in that tournament, that's kind of disappointing but i i don't really get like very angry or anything it's more like i should respect what i'm doing more you know it's a mm. little bit of temporal disappointment but i also like to use it um as a way like as fool to actually get better right so it's it's not like i don't think these emotions are um bad in terms of like they're creating anything negative on me they are actually being used like i'm using this energy to actually you know like well i felt bad because i felt like i did not respect my time preparing the tournament enough right because i didn't focus enough well let's take this frustration or this energy and make sure i use these towards you know this not happening again so i can focus better you know if i mm. think of this moment for example okay it's also interesting when i think about 
what you said in re- regards to your experience last year because who is the magic player who said like this is gonna be my final tournament and then he did really well was it yo larson or or somebody like Strasky? that oh Strasky, yes i'm sorry i got it's the names mixed Strasky. up <laughs> it's the, the classic Strasky. so you had your little mini Strasky moment right because you said this might be my last pt and then you top aided the the pt can you talk to me a bit about how your mindset changed last year like it seemed like you were putting i think you described it yourself as like you were you were trying to have more fun in the moment as opposed to putting too much pressure on yourself but that seems so hard to do because you're there to to win so i i maybe you can walk me through that process if you're you know where you were last year with that well i can see why it will look hard but honestly it felt like clicking a button Mm-hmm. in my head just because often i i feel like i get into high pressure situations because i put myself into it you know like i have this setup where i just put my music just sit in the corner and just focus like for half an hour or something and instead i was just walking around talking to people which is what i do when i'm relaxed <clears throat> right so that helped this change like um i also think you're there to win but ultimately the reason we play magic is because we love magic right so on a very deep level, you're there to enjoy your time, <clears throat> like to enjoy your time, to have better memories for the future or whatever. But like, it's not like winning is the primary motivation once we start playing magic, right? We start playing magic because we have fun and going to the PT, like the PTs are awesome, but actually they're awesome because we enjoy them. Even though trying to win is what we do there, the real motivations behind playing the PT is having, enjoying the PT. Right, so if you're in a position where you feel like there's no, a way for you to enjoy the PT more, that's the right one. And not only because you will enjoy more and have a better time, and therefore you know you will have a better memory, but also because I feel like if you are having a better time, you will be in a better headspace to actually play better, and therefore you will have a, a better win rate. Right, so I think feeling good in a tournament, it's not all. Not only like something I owe to myself in terms of like a person, like you know I want to do as I can to in order to be happy, but also if I do so in the in the same time, at least for me personally, I will have a better chance to win the tournament. So it's you know if if, you, if I identify in a tournament that a mindset will make me happier, I will do it. So if it's you know being more chilly, that's chilly. If it I feel like well I need to be like full pressure mode, that's it. But I'm always doing it because. It makes me happy, and that's why I think in a tournament, like, and that applies also to like being, you know, like angry. You know, if your opponent top decks mm. or something, or something happened, and you are very furious about it. Uh, the way I actually like, I removed it from my system quite early in my career, but because if you are very mad at that situation and you're having a very bad time, you're actually reducing your win rate. So it's not only about you feeling bad in that moment, but also, well, you know, it's like, well, I'm gonna win less, so this is dangerous. So just stick it out. Mm-hmm. So I think you're describing that being in a good mood or being in a, a happier state, it's not, there's not some sort of like mutually exclusive thing with being competitive. It's not, they're not mutually exclusive um, states of being or states of mind. It's not like you, it's not like if you do one, you can't do the other. Like you can have fun and you can still play the best you can and you can still like achieve, you can still put expectations in yourself, right? I guess it's not even... Maybe even saying putting pressure is, is is too much. Like it's just you're there for some sort of purpose, but in the moment you can still 
you can maybe still enjoy it, right? Well, I will go a little bit farther and saying like, it's not like they are not opposite. Like for me personally, they actually go together. Like even if you see me like I'm very, you know, tense, like in a high pressure situation, I'm actually having a lot of fun. Like those times I'm just walking into a feature match for uh, winning in the PT. I might be looking serious when I'm having a lot of fun. Like that's a very fun moment for me. That's a very unique sensation. And I actually enjoy it a lot. So for me personally, I I will say like whenever I'm having the most fun, I turn to perform the better and the other way around. I see. I see. So um, another thing that um, I find really interesting is that, and this is also something that Antonio told me, is that at, at some point, actually, I don't remember if it was Antonio or Mengu, uh, one of them, uh, one of your podcast friends, but um, they were saying that um, there was a fork in the road in your career, right? You had mentioned poker. At some point you were just doing, there was a fork. You were deciding like whether you were going to be a poker pro or a magic pro, and then you chose magic. So can you tell me why? why it was that you chose one over the other? Well, the answer is easy, is this magic made me happier. Like, I think magic is right. the best game ever, <laughs> the best game I've ever played. And it's just a game that just makes me happy to play again and again. It's been so many years, so many hours playing magic, and I still wake up and, you know, get to play some magic. And I'm, sometimes at the end of the day, I'm like, wow. So there was so mm -hmm. much fun. And it was maybe random Tuesday where I played some leagues, and, and that's it, right? So for me, that was kind of an easy decision in terms of like, this game is just going to make me happy. And I always had this like feeling as a, as a kid that, you know, it would be nice to actually be a better player, like a good player among the good players in the PT or whatever, which I never got to do. And I felt like I was on this stage of my life because I think, I thought it was like 20, I don't know late 20s, 30, 38, 31 maybe, I was like, right, let's try to play Magic for a year or two, trying to approach, this, approach the game as seriously as I was approaching poker or whatever, just studying the game and trying to get better and see where I can go. Uh, and my goal was to qualify to the PT, right? And I actually got there after a year or so. But I, I mean, obviously I was not expecting to do as well as I did later. But I wanted to get to the PT once again because I had these memories of like the PT being awesome and a unique experience. And once I got to the PT, and that was like 10 years after my previous PT, it, it was still the same. It was still magic where, you know, you walk into the venue of the PT and it was like, <laughs> and 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 yeah, I just kept going in that way. But for me, it was a matter of like happiness again. I value happiness a lot in life. I think doing things that make you happy. Um, I mean, it's a little bit hard to articulate, <laughs> but mm. for me, I think like if you make yourself happy, you're going to have a better life. And that that's actually more important than the things that are commonly seen as things that make you, a better, you have a better life, right? So I think that applies to games as well. And on top of that, as I said before, like if you do this, you will also perform better. How did you come? I mean, no, I mean, it's, it's actually really, it's really great to hear that, that, uh, you know, you're, you're driven by happiness. I'm just wondering how you came up with this philosophy. Was it just some sort of personal awakening? Did it come from your parents? Like how, how did this, uh, how did this philosophy come about? Well, I, I, <laughs> that's, 
That that's a good question, actually, James. Uh, I don't know. I, I will say probably. You just always like this? Is that just since you were younger? No, I don't think so. I think this probably happened as I was growing older, older and just meeting more people, talking to more people, right? But I just, I'm trying to think of it now. But I guess I probably. It's just... not like a movie. It's not like there's this one point where something exactly. like no, a, it's not like, like when a they turning point, right? Yeah, yeah. it's not. It's not like when they wake up and I'm, you know I'm gonna just pursue happiness <laughs> all the way. No, I definitely was like you know I want to do good things or whatever. I want to be a good player. No, no, I was never like this when I was a kid. I was like, you know, like a normal kid trying to be good at something. But I guess if I had to say where, probably like around mid-20s or something, where I was just like seeing a lot of people, especially from the poker world or whatever, you know, being su- successful, but not being particularly happy, mm. you know, in a way. Mm. But also seeing a lot of people just not being by any means that successful, but in being extremely happy with their life. And just like feeling like, you know, I want to live like this. I want to play Magic. Uh, definitely going back to Magic mm, was a big step towards, you know, becoming this person, I will say. But there's no breaking point. It's not like right. anything specific happened for me to actually be like it's this. It's like an accumulation. And I have to assume that poker must be more financially lucrative. But the reason why folks like yourself and Nassif and others, like, came back to Magic is because, like, it's just maybe a more fun game. You enjoy it more. That's basically what you, you said, right? Yes, but in order for this to actually be with you, you probably have to be there in a way. Like, you know, having the opportunity to play a different game that's actually going to be better for you on, like, traditional values standard, like, you know, like, traditional life roads or whatever, but you're there and you identify that's not the case for you, That I will say that's definitely a big step towards, you know, achieving this mm. happiness. Mm. You mean you mean just like uh, trying other things so that you have some sort of benchmark to compare it to, right? Because if I only played Magic my whole life, I don't have any other comparison point like poker or other games, and I don't have a good, uh, yeah, I don't have a good benchmark, right? You have to see the other world first. It sounds like. Yeah, I actually had another fork in the road because I quit poker for Magic, but I also stopped playing Hearthstone which was kind of big back in the moment. I also got like some good opportunities to play Hearthstone tournaments at the beginning, and I did well in some of them. I got one, one of the first tournaments the game we had. So I actually had also this second fork between Hearthstone and Magic. And I think it was like, yeah, I was well-positioned in Hearthstone, and I was like silver, I think, in Magic or gold in Magic. And I had another decision there because Hearthstone was a game, like Hearthstone was, also a very good game in a way mm-hmm. like I, I like the design a lot i like the gameplay a lot uh but i again choose magic and that's a, th- those were different reasons though because you know the, the difference between poker and magic in terms of fun is massive but i think the difference between magic and hearthstone in terms of fun they are somewhat similar in a way right like they have a lot of like deck building and the gameplay is actually like they're both fun but I guess the tournament system, the PT, and the people I knew from Magic was actually like a very important part of that as well. You know, mm. like because it's not only the game that it's fun; it's also like I enjoy being with people from Magic a lot as well. Mm. And Magic has this like social element, which this might surprise some people that have known me for a little bit because I don't look very social to a lot of people. But I actually 
enjoy like it gives me a lot of joy and happiness to be with my friends from magic right and that's also something i waited back in the day when since it was 2016 maybe the year hearthstone got like like big and and that's a that's also the fork that i had to be like i had to decide and and yeah i mean so that's not it's not only about the game specifically but also about like what's around the game um the pt you know because i had I had lived the PT experience back, and I was like, "Wow, this is just great! I want to do this every time." And and I had this situation where I also felt like, so I wanted to play where whichever game I choose as well as I could, but I knew I could not play two games. Like I knew I could not be very good at both Hearthstone and Magic at the same time. By you know, like as good as matter of focus, be. right? You have to pick exactly. One. So I, I just felt like I had to take a decision, right? And like once I choose Magic, I stopped playing Hearthstone. But that was also, you know, <laughs> some... It was a decision to be made at that point. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like Magic as a whole package. And obviously this was um, pre-COVID. Maybe your decision is different, you know, had things happened a few years later. But um, I, I guess you're right. Like during 2017, 2016, that was kind of... Um, I might even describe it as kind of like a golden age of tournament magic because it was very clear what the Pro Tour system was. It was very clear, like, what you needed to do. There were tons of qualifiers. Now, I can't speak for everywhere around the world. Maybe it was tougher if you're in Spain or in Europe, but it seemed like there were still plenty of opportunities if you wanted to work hard and move up some sort of tournament ladder at that time, right? Yeah, definitely. There. I mean, the system was the old system, and... There were like a lot of big tournaments, like all these like huge Las Vegas GPs or whatever, but also like a lot of GPs in Europe. It was definitely like a good moment for for competitive magic, but also the prices were like not very good. I mean, mm -hmm. like especially when you factor in the travel, air travel, and lots of things. Exactly. Like when you talk about golden era, it's because like coverage was good in terms of like the the marketing was good in tournaments, right? Yeah, but maybe price... maybe golden era for spectators like me, but not necessarily exactly. for a player. That's the thing. Like you could be like the top twenty player in the world, you could be platinum, and you could like don't have enough to leave or whatever. You know, like yeah. they were called platinum pros, but the money was not. You still very need the good. sponsorships. You still need to write articles. You still need a lot of other things, right? And like so. That was for someone living in Spain and not in a very expensive area. But if you were American, like you will not have enough to live out of in platinum, right? Like mm -hmm. platinum was like then again top twenty five to top thirty, I think, players in the world. So I'm talking about like the very unique players that will be the very best, right? So I think the tournaments were very fun to play, enjoyable, but the prize money was just not enough. Like the concept of pro, I thought it was like just like someone that between magic price money and the sponsorships or whatever like barely get to you know like live definitely not like it's like a break even or a living wage right kind of thing yeah yeah it was like yeah actually felt, I, I remember like the platinum uh was like the minimum wage or something you know mm. platinum mm. without country if you really calculate it it probably is yes. yeah 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 exactly i mean it was the minimum in spain i assume it was under the minimum one in, in us or whatever you know like it was not very good in terms of like actually living out of there. Of course, I mean, living in Spain or like other countries that are not very expensive, that's fine. But for someone living in, I don't know, any other more expensive country, like even the UK or whatever, it would be hard to actually make a good living. You could leave, you could eat or whatever, but you know, at some point you are on your 27 years or something, saving some money for the future, or if something happens actually good, 
That's something you could not do in a so Magic player unless you like won a PT. Uh, which, of course, that's obviously good price money, but you cannot count on winning a Can't PT every year. That. Even if no. you're, you know, let's say you're the best, all right? Even if you're the best, you cannot count on winning a PT because it's just like variance or whatever, right? So I think this was a good time in Magic for, for aspiring players in terms of like um, the, the road was very well made. It was mm. a road that was pavimented through the years, and it was very good looking. But mm. the end of the road, you know, the price situation there on the top of the mountain, it was not very good. It was minimum wage, right? right? And 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 that's that's a little bit of an issue of that moment because so we were the average age of the, the players was um, considerably lower to the point where this was acceptable in a way for most of people most people mm-hmm. but if you change the situation to all the people you know you have a kid for example or whatever you know like that's a whole different situation because now you're platinum but you're also not saving much because you're barely you know unless you win a pity you're barely having like extra uh, money mm-hmm. coming in on the search and that's you know I, i'm saying i'm saying like it was a good i have also great memories of those times but looking at it from a like an economic perspective, it was far so, from so, perfect. Yeah, far yeah, from. definitely not perfect. You know, like mm-hmm. I think the MPL area, or even the one we are now, even though it looks like it's supposed to be worse, I actually think it's better for different reasons. Like you know, it's less demanding because that one, uh, it was super demanding. Like if you wanted to, you know, if you were lucky enough to be born in US or America or just live there, you know, if you were lucky enough to live in America or US sorry, America or Europe, you could play a lot of GPs to actually get platinum or gold way easier than other people mm-hmm. like on the other areas. But you also will have to travel all this, you know, you have, will have to need to have this money to travel to all the GPs. And also the time, like the human energy to actually go through, you know, 10 GPs a year plus the PTs and as such, which is something you might not be able to do if you had a family and, you know, and two kids or whatever, being 38 years old. Obviously, you can do if you are like a twenty-year-old man, but like that's fine. But like, you know, there's some, uh, there's a lot of different situations this system had that it's easy to forget once you think like, you know, you had the GPs and the coverage, and that's great because it was the road to the PT, and that's true, and I have great memories of that. But let's not forget, there's like the world. Ha- I mean, if the same player was like ten years older, well, he might not be able to do all of this, right? And and that's something also the new system you know, acknowledges in a way. Like, I actually think the new system, like, when they presented it, it was like, oh, this is not very good. And a lot of players were like, this is not great compared to, you know, what we had in the golden era, whatever you want to call it. I think it's actually great. Like, I think the system is very good at doing what it does, which is, like, enable the PT dream or whatever. Uh, It doesn't focus on having professionals because there were really not that many professionals anyway based on playing because the price money was not actually there before the MPL, right? Uh, the system is like, okay, there's not, this is not there, but you can have a, a working life or whatever without being considerably, you know, in a, in a significant disadvantage to other people because you don't need to grind 25 tournaments. If you're in the PT, you don't even have to play DRC. You can be the PT, you can play three tournaments a year on walls. And you can do that with a family and kids, right? It's very different to live, you know, 16 times in a year than to live three. Uh, and I think the system ha- is like a much, 
I don't want to say healthier, but like a more sustainable, I will say the word, uh, more sustainable way of playing Magic competitively for people that actually have like a work, which they kind of expected to do because you cannot have a living out of being a pro, right? So mm. that's... So there's two things there. One is that I think um, it's kind of a win-win. It's a win for Wizards in that they organize less events now in the current regime. And it's also a win for potentially um, people that want to do well at these events. I don't even want to use the term pros because who's a pro now? But it's just Magic players, They you, there's less events potentially to play if you're interested in that sort of thing. Um, the second point actually is about like, I feel like the designation professional, even like many years ago, like it was a very... It's a very fluid definition because like how many pros are actually I, if you define professional as someone who does magic as their primary source of income or as their primary focus sure you can have call a lot of people pros but in reality a lot of the pros were like part-time pros right they had they had regular jobs they were just like flying on weekends to to go to some events so they they still relied on other sources of income and um which makes your story even more interesting because like you have to really love the game when you have these when you're good at these other games and you have options to you know to to have more savings i i guess is the blunt way to to say it right yes but then again it comes down to happiness right like i can ha i, I can <laughs> okay. just picture I, I could just picture a life where i was like you know 45 years old and will right. have more savings and more money and more success in a way yeah. or i could have 45 years old and i will be like well i've been playing magic playing magic for 10 years i'm like just happy as I can imagine, you know, mm. and it's still the same. And I think this decision actually is not that as unique as it sounds because like, okay, I, most of the best players in the world playing Magic, I mean, you can tell they are very good at, the, at least at analyzing things, right? Like they have to, otherwise they're not going to be like top 20 sure. players in the world in Magic, that's your, right? That's your extend to analyzing other things in life too. I think that's what you're saying. Exactly. And this means like financial jobs or whatever, you know, like I think the, remember this sparkling article about, you know, what you could say about getting a job if you're a magic player, you know, like I think if you are an extremely good magic player, you're definitely going to have like, once you, you set a path, a very good potential career, right? So this exists to any magic player that's just like very good. So I will say that's common to all the platinum pros or whatever you want to call. Uh, it is it is there in my opinion. It is like a matter of people deciding to do what they love, and I think that's uh, that's you know also a little bit of a misconception that I've, I I've heard across the years. Like uh, you know, like it's like well the pros actually just only want to win. They don't care about magic or whatever. It's like if. They don't care about magic. And no, they, they probably have to care about magic more than yeah, someone then why like are myself. They magic? Otherwise, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, the, it's actually the opposite. Like, you know, like... You're not machines we... that are just out there to, like, only win, right? It, it can't be. There's no, no sustainability. Like, you know, I remember, like, I had this experience in one of my first PTs. Uh, back in the day, the beginnings of the PT will actually stay open until very late. Not all like now, where at 8, 8 p.m. sometimes we were going out. And I will be like just traveling to the PT. I think it was my second PT or something. And, you know, we'll be out because we're not good. And we'll go tourists, right? And we go back on very late in the night. And we'll just, oh, the venue is still open or whatever. And just, you know, have a look. And there will be just the, the, the hall will be almost empty, but there will be the pros actually drafting with each other. And that was actually. Uh, an interesting moment for me because I was like, 
well, I mean, these guys surely have played enough, yet, you know... You, still, you sure you to... still want to play Magic? Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're, they're, you know, it's like, I don't know how late it was, but it was like, well, this guy is still playing here. They just, after they tested so much and they play a tournament, they decide, what they decide to do in the, their, with their time in this trip is just to, to play more Magic. Like, they mm -hmm. just decide to draft against each other. Like, that, there was a... There was a moment that, you know, stood with me because it tells a little bit of, like, they actually, they're not pros because they're good and then they like the game. It's like they become pros and they become as good because how much they actually like to play the game. And that's, it's not the case for absolutely everyone, I guess, but that's a very common story. Like, among the best players, you can find, like, often they are just players. They just enjoy playing the game a lot because that's how they actually got good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think uh, I, I'm gonna read this quote. I think you once said it because uh, your friend told me. Like, uh, there's there's a quote that you said. Like, people think we are magic pros because we are very good at playing magic, but it isn't true. We are magic pros because we are very good at learning how to play magic. Right? I think that's what it's about. Like, yeah, it's that's... always being a student, right? I yeah. definitely, I definitely agree. Like, <laughs> yeah, I just agree. <laughs> well, you agree with yourself. You said it. <laughs> oh, okay. So, <laughs> I guess Antonio must have a good memory, but uh, I, yeah, that he that does. was something you told him. Yes, he does. He does have a good memory for quoting uh, not only me but everyone. But sometimes it's like, yeah, you once said this sentence, and they're like, okay, okay. <laughs> okay. So you don't have quite the same level of uh, maybe photographic memory then. No, I don't think I have a memory as good as his memory. Mm. Okay. So... I do have good memory for for magic sequences. As you know, I can remember sometimes like, uh, <laughs> okay. you know, a, a board state from like years ago, whatever, but not sure. like for everything. <laughs> I think it's also interesting because you're kind of touching on it. It's that for magic, people that play competitive magic, there's some sort of like quest for like intellectual pursuit or to or the intellectual challenge. Whereas I feel like, Again, this might be a gross generalization on my part, but I feel like in poker, you're supposed to actually find players that are weaker than you. You're supposed to exploit the kind of like zero-sum nature of the game, whereas I feel like in Magic at the highest levels, you're always trying to like play against the best, and there really is only one um, avenue to play like with the best, like which is the Pro Tour. Like, There's no like alternative to it, right? I don't know if you would agree with that or not. Well, there's, uh, I think... For poker specifically, I don't like technically. Yes, you will have to play with worse players, but this, I think this is a lot about like human beings liking to be competitive and trying to be the best they can or the best overall. That's why you still see poker tournaments or you know games that just have like these world championships or just tournaments where they all they only like have like the very best players. Like this thing on humans that they want to be the best at the game. This exists in every game. That includes poker and every game you can think. Okay, of. so it's universal. Like, like if once you get to high, high level, like to the high level, they still want to be the best, and okay. that's why they have this like high roller, super expensive, super you know only the best sure. players tournament. Because they right, both, that's true. Right, otherwise they wouldn't play that because there's are, still something yeah, about it. Yeah, exactly. They are not playing those exactly for profit. They are playing those because they are the equivalent of the twenty-four player Magic Worlds. Right, they right. they, they want to play against the best and they want to you know walk away feeling like i beat the best there's ones. still the ego involved like there's still ego like i want to be the best in the, on this table kind of exactly thing. and and that's something that fools players a lot right like you want to be the best so you work towards it 
right? That's that's yeah. the mindset all the people have. But in magic, it's actually similar in a way. Like you have the road, but the road, the end of the road is like playing with the best, right? And and that's I personally enjoy playing with the best a lot. Like uh, for me, the the MPL. Do you remember the MPL splits? Uh, I think those were like maybe not great to watch because you know just have the the tournament structure. I can tell you, for me personally, they're they were great to play. Like you mm-hmm. will know, like you knew you were playing against like you're always playing against one of the best. It yeah. was like all the final bosses, and also there was a lot of metagaming involved. The decks were different. Right. Like y- you know, like it was a very challenging way to play Magic every week or every two weeks, and it, I I did enjoy that a lot. Like I have. Like for me, when I think of the MPL, I have this very fond memory of just having this MPL league play, which mm. were very hard. Like the, the games were very hard, and we were all trying a lot. And for me, playing against a very good player, knowing that that they are trying the best, this is important as well because yeah. it's not the there same. There are stakes play. involved. Yeah, yes. like well, the stakes doesn't don't matter as much as they're trying. Like if you know they're trying because they're gonna beat you, that's enough. You know, like, it's not really about what you win. It's about, you know, playing against one of the best and you know they are trying as hard as they can. So you're getting the best version of them against you. I do have fun. Like, for me, this gives me joy. I don't know. I just like playing those So games. you actually thrive under that kind of... Uh, I'll just say it, you thrive under that kind of pressure because I've talked to other MPL players that they don't... I'm not saying that like when it's time to play the match, they're going to like somehow play worse. It's not about that, but they don't like the mental um, pressure of like feeling like I have to perform every week, but that actually seems to, you seem to enjoy that. I enjoy this a lot. Like for me, okay. it's, it's it, it, like, that's one of the things that actually fooled me towards getting better at magic, you know, like being able to play those games against the best playing their best and being like, okay, I can play with you, you know? Like being able to enjoy those games in a fair situation, that's a very big motivator for me. Uh, I don't even need to win the games, like, because sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, and that's fine. I just, like, sometimes I play those games and I wake up from the table, I'm like, you know, I, like, I, I lost, but I'm like very happy because the game was like a great game, and that's mm. fine. You know, I just, yeah, I, I, I prop, I don't know if I play much better but i definitely enjoy my time a lot in the situation so you know right. you're having the pressure you're shuffling even those even the moments between games i still i'm still enjoying myself there a lot yes. okay that's really interesting yeah i mean you're i guess you're everyone is built differently you have your your way of processing it so that that's really cool and um how do you think about i mean this is stuff that you're thinking in the moment but how do you think about your I hate to use this term, but like your legacy, like how do you want, have you thought about how you want to be remembered? Like, you know, or how you want to be seen by your contemporaries, that kind of thing. Does that, is that something that you think about when you're, when you're doing magic or, or does it just never come up? Not really a lot. I mean, I, I, I would like to think I'm a good, uh, representation of Spanish. Maybe you want to players. be at least respected or known as, uh, uh so that's the thing. I don't really need to be known as a certain level of play. Like I don't need to be thought of like one of the best or something. I'm that's not some that you know that's not something that actually motivates me. Like I, I'm not moved, uh, you know, on on that. Like for me, it's about 
ha- leaving those moments myself. Like I I just feel like the legacy or how people perceive you as a player is often like based on how you actually market it in a way. Mm. Like which character you are showing and I just don't think it's like for me it doesn't change how I want to play the game and how I want to live my life. So if they see me in a way because I am how I am, so be it, you know. I I don't think it's for me, yeah, I will say I'm not very bothered about that. Okay. <laughs> Having said that though, I mean, does when you became the world champion, when you won the world championships, like did it did it change something about you or how others saw you? Maybe let's start with the first part. Like, did how did you feel after winning it? Like, did it change your your life in any way? I mean, it did change my life a little bit in terms of like tournaments were a little bit different because I will get more attention than I did before in tournaments that I actually was not very used to it. So it took me a little bit to adapt to that situation. Uh, but I would like to think I didn't change too much. Uh, definitely my methods um, were the same, but I did have to go through one um, very big fear that I had. Is like, you see it in other players, right? Like sometimes they get, like they become world champions, they win everything or whatever, and they lose motivation and they lose like, um, you know. Maybe the drive they, or the fire they lose or the something drive. Yeah, that. exactly. They lose this fire, you know. To, so I was actually very scared to to be that person as well. Because you don't want to lose it, but you yeah, you don't know. Exactly. Yeah. I, I didn't want to turn a win into something that will take away the thing I enjoy the most, which is playing magic in these situations. I love that, right? Uh, I will be scared of that. So I actually was like, well, I'm going to let myself just relax because I won the world. So I'm just going to try as I was like not qualified for anything. And um, that was pro- that was not a very good decision that I made. Because I ended up pushing myself a little bit too much. Oh, like, like you went you know, kind of way optimized for that. In a, yeah, in like a I kind of overreacted. I was afraid of just not having enough drive that I overreacted. And I went too deep. Like I went too, yeah. too motivated. I, I eventually like ended testing too much and as such. I got a little bit burned eventually. But it's not the same as, you know, losing motivation because you don't care as much because you have won the tournament. So I was so scared of that that I actually had to go through this process of calibrating myself correctly and that was a tough one because i had never been in that situation before i definitely made some mistakes there in terms of like deciding how much to prepare for tournaments but i mean that's life you leave uh you learn and definitely i mean i would like to think i didn't change too much but it's also hard, easy to say this but hard to make be sure right because yeah i guess i mean i probably change it because most important things that happen in your life actually change you in a way so the realistic answer is I actually changed, but something I like changed, but it's much. sometimes hard, like kind of going back to what we said, like maybe it's hard to articulate it. Maybe it's hard to, to have something other than a feeling, or maybe it's some sort of gradual thing. Um, but I do remember talking to like Paulo Vitor. I interviewed him before he won uh, the world championships. This is like many years ago. And he said that he wanted to win the world's championship because this is a way for people in his life that are not in magic to actually like, understand okay i'm now the world champion in something right did it change like how people that knew you from outside of magic saw you in some way well there's two things here uh yes because you know it's very easy to know what a world champion is so you're someone yeah, the, yeah but he's you're the best at this game that right? game that been, yeah it's yeah, like it's yeah. international like it is in any context people understand what this means 
but that was never uh something i actually like like my motivation that's not the was, goal right that's no not... for me it was never the goal like even in the like because the year before i lost the finals of worlds right in the, 2017 even in the coverage and people because next year i was in the top four like so i made back-to-back finals they were like you know you were like working for this thing event or whatever you know and it's getting i was like no i, I i'm okay. just like so that was a storyline but it didn't that's not how you felt that's not how it felt it was like i mean i know how you know no i just was trying my best and my best happened to be this and i might win the tournament but I, if i lost the finals in a row you know that's fine like i will still be very happy um it's it's not like i needed to win worlds you know yeah like, life goes it was on never my right? goal you yeah. know that, that's I know that's probably not what you expected, but it was really not. I was just like trying to. No, no, I I love this because this is the realistic answer, right? Because I I, I think I I often call this like the. um, I don't have a good term for it. Like, this is is me using like crude words, but it's almost like the paradox of magic. Maybe it's like the Strasky effect. It's like. When you when your life is not all about magic, like paradoxically, you you do better at magic. Like when you put all everything into magic, sometimes it doesn't quite, or or maybe it's just an impossible ideal when you when you're so invested in magic that like the losses and the wins dictate everything about your world reality. I don't know. Like it, there's something there. Maybe this is just like me as an outsider looking into this, but maybe you feel differently. So. Well, that's two different things, though. Like, I, I did not need to win worlds. Like, my goal was not exactly to win worlds in terms of happiness. In terms, but your goal was to play the, the best match you could, right? Which is the, well, yeah. But yeah. I was willing to involve myself a lot on that. Like, I don't don't think I didn't care about the tournament because I did care about the tournament. Okay, as much. Okay, anyway, yes, like, yes. okay, uh, my my approach for this tournament, specifically these two worlds was to make sure no one could test more than I did. Oh, okay. You had the most preparation of anybody on uh, the planet, I don't know basically. if that was true or not, uh, but for 2018, I will say someone that will play more than me for a tournament will have to sleep a li- few hours because <laughs> okay. I will be like, I will be like full okay. day, f- full, sure. like for like the It's a full-time three, thing, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, full-time in a very little way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like there was the idea, like if I walk, into the tournament thinking like, well, I play the most hours in the whole field because they they, they will have like, a tie will be the max I can achieve because I've played all my time, which is mm. not very healthy, you know? So I'm just saying like, the fact that I, once in the tournament, I was not like, like this feeling, knowing that I have prepared the most and I will play well. Then if I lose, I lose and I got six, right. that's fine. But, but what I'm saying, I think I agree good. with you. I'm, I'm saying I'm not saying that you expect to win or to win that tournament. I'm saying that you did everything you could to prepare. So at the end of the day, you don't feel bad about like uh, the result if you felt like you did everything in your power to prepare, right? So, exactly. which, is, which is fine. Yeah. It's fine, but it's also like... Although it's... that is dangerous too, because when you prepare more than anybody else, there's that ugly word of entitlement and like expectation, right? Well, it's also like it's not very healthy in a way, like, you know, like, because, you know, being there and thinking like, well, I'll try my best. Well, what does trying your best mean? You know, like, like, it's not easy to, you know, and the literal way of thinking, try my best or trying as hard as you can. That's not a healthy answer, <laughs> you know, and, and that's also a dangerous mindset, which is a trap I had to solve for myself because they got to a point where if you prepare tournaments like this for long enough, 
it's not sustainable. Like it's just not good for your life. And therefore it's not good for happiness, which actually means it's going to be ending being uh, counterproductive, right? That's something that's also a big danger, but it was never related to winning for me. It was related to like this, like ethic, uh, you know, like I was forcing myself to be as well prepared as I could for every tournament. And that's also like, it's a danger you don't hear a lot about, Mm. right? But it's also a danger because Mm. usually it's like, if you care too much about winning, you're going to, you know, not be kind with yourself. That's fine. But also if you don't care that much about winning and you care about the process and you're not being prepared, which is the usual advice. Well, this also has a dark side because if you actually take it to, you know, like you actually do as much as you can, I will not recommend doing literally as much as you can. Just do. Like the correct way of saying it is will be like, do as much as you can while still being as happy as you can. And therefore, this yeah. this is like the best way to play tournaments, in my opinion. Yeah. Because waking up at 10, you know, playing until 1 a.m., having one hour to clean yourself and eat, and then just playing the next day again, that's not happiness in the long term. You know, it can work for one week for one person or something, mm-hmm. but it's not how you can actually leave playing magic tournaments. So I would like to add that part, you know, just... I think, <laughs> I think this is so true. Like just, um, and I think you're right. It doesn't get talked about enough, which is the idea that <laughs> I don't know if this is like yin and yang, but it's like everything has like the dark side and the light side. So it's like, if you want that success, you have to sacrifice. And if you don't want it, like you have to care, but then in caring, you have to embrace both the good and bad of it. And sometimes the ugly part. And it's people want this sort of like clean separation where it's like, I only want to do the good things. I don't have to do the bad things. I don't want to get my hands dirty. Like, you know, playing 14 hours of magic a day, but it's like, that has to be somehow inevitable if you really care about that thing. But you just have to recognize, as you said, that maybe it's not sustainable. Maybe you do it like at certain points in your life, like maybe for a few years, but it can't be like every, every year of your life because it's just, it's just going to kill you. It's gonna kill you, right? And it's gonna make you unhappy. And you know, this one thing I I don't know if this is true for everyone, but for most of the best players, you will really not be like top five player in the world if you don't play an unhealthy amount at some point. Right? Like that's and that's probably You have to true. put that work in or that sacrifice. And that's right? probably true for most things, right? Like I'm pretty sure, you know the best yeah. tennis players in the world actually played too much tennis for some amount of their lives. Mm-hmm. And that's just how life is. Like, it's not only that there is, like, a, like you say, like, I think I like that a lot, yin yang on the bad and the, the good side and the bad side. It's like, you have to go through both. Like, it's there's no way to avoid b- the bad side if you want to be on the top part of the game. And that's, I think that's a reality because you will not be one of the best if you play two hours a day. That's a fact. Like, just, it just doesn't work. And if you mm-hmm. play too much, well, you know, then again, these bad things happen. And yeah, that's, that's just a realistic approach, I will say. Yeah. Um, I'm quite sure Nadal never played just two hours of tennis. A, a <laughs> Absolutely. <day>. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> In his life, even when he was injured, I'm sure that he was doing something. <laughs> exactly. But maybe when he was like 18, he will just play like the whole day, you know, to the point where yeah. some physi- like the, phys- uh, the physical medics, whatever, will be like, wow, you're playing too much. You know, right. I'm pretty sure he had been told he was playing too much at some point of his career. And he will be like, well, I just want to be the best or want to be better. Yeah. And do I you think want to be great or do you want to, you know, just, you know, take care of yourself? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I think getting like being extremely good at something 
I mean, ideally, you can reach a point where it's not the case anymore. But I will say getting that good at something is usually going to be involving not caring as you should about yourself. And that's, yeah. it's not like it's fine, but it just seems to be the way it is. Uh, but also, I mean, I learned this from Paulo, actually. Once you are good enough, you can actually then have a good relationship with the game. Because if right. you're good enough, you don't need to play 14 hours a day anymore because yeah. you already did it before. <laughs> you're already on, if you're already on that mountain, but of course to get to that mountain, you had to like... Exactly. I, I would even go so far as to say like, um, there's no amount of great, like no greatness can ever be achieved without some kind of unhealthy sacrifice. It's like, I think in most, maybe all things in life, I just, I just like, even if I want to do a, be a better interviewer, like I have to put in the hours, like I have to, you have to do some kind of work. You have to do things that when you don't enjoy it, like it's just, that's just, that's just how it is, right? I'm not saying I don't enjoy this interview. I'm just saying like in general, right? You know, you know what I mean? I, I actually agree. I think, uh, I think this is a good, um, you know, good comparison because I think this is skills. Like I don't think being a magic player and being an interviewer or being a content creator or being like a tennis player is that different in that regard. Like, you know, you can get better things. You can choose not to get better at that, but you still enjoy it anyway. You can try to be successful. And if you're trying to be among the most successful ones, you're going to be having to make sacrifices. And I think all these situations in life are actually more comparable than they look. Because, you know, being an interviewer and being a magic player should not have too much in common, but it actually does, right? Because there's a lot to, a lot to learn, you know, and there's a lot of, like, it's like a time sink in a way where you can just, you know, try to put as much resources as you can. And that's also a thing that I want to talk about a little bit because there's this, this conception of, like, competitive players being, like, something very different in a way where, you know, like, you're a world champion. This means you were the best at doing this, but there are also other people, you know, there's some content creators that are the best at doing um, what they are. They have the, more pe the most viewers because they're better at doing that, right? And, you know, the common answer is like, well, but if they try to be the world champion, they couldn't, right? And, but if you try to be as they are, you could. No, that's not true. Like, I will not be able to be as good as the con like as good as creating content as the content creator are, you know, just like different skills. And one of them is called world champion and the other one is not. But for me, one is not better than the other. Just because I am on, on the top of one side doesn't mean to me that it's better than the other people doing everything, you know, like mm -hmm. any other aspect of the game or even other things. So I believe skills and situations in life are often comparable, but not because they are better than each other, but just because, you know, it, it's for me, it's not better to be a better player than it is to be a better content creator or a better interviewer or you know a lawyer or whatever yeah. for me they're just I, like i wouldn't say there's things. like a ranking but i would say that different people have more affinity to use a magic term there's more affinity for different things like for example right i'm sure that it must have been validating in your earlier magic career or gaming career to like win like i'm, I'm not saying that magic players don't lose but like like when you see some initial feedback that is good that makes it more sustainable for you to keep going so that you eventually one day you are a pro or a world champion. Whereas if someone never gets that feedback because they just don't have into naturally the skill or the the way to like get that validation on the way, it's much harder for them. Like think about it, like someone who's great at something, like they had to get some early success. Like if you get beat up every day, uh, 
I don't know. Maybe this is not true. Maybe you did like get beat up a lot as a magic player in the earlier days and you just found a way. Like maybe you have some resilience. That's also very important too. But that in itself is also a skill, right? Yeah, I I was decent compared to my local peers when I started playing, but I definitely, like, the way I see magic is actually, I use the mountain, um, the mountain analogy a lot, you know, like, you climb a little bit, and then you find new people, and they destroy you, and then you have to climb more, you know, (laughs) I I use this a lot, Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I did get, like, the, the higher you go, the toughest it hits. Because, you know, at some point you think you're good, but then you actually get to play with the very best ones. And if you're good enough, you're like, wow, these guys are so much better than I am. And that's rough, you know, like even if you're because even if you're good, even if you're natural to a game or something, you're going to find people that are going to be better than you. And I'm pretty Mm -hmm. sure that's the case for everyone, because at the very least, they are. They are like well seasoned on that, so you're gonna mm-hmm. you know, and and you're gonna run into a wall that will seem to be like the wall will seem so high that some days it will be like this is impossible, like I cannot never get these people. They are so good, but mm-hmm. sometimes I think resilience is um, something I value a lot for magic as well because sometimes you're there and you're like, well, I mean, I, it might be impossible, but there's only one way to find out, right? And you know, let's just try. I I think that's I think resilience is probably very useful for all career paths in a way where, you know, because I'm pretty sure like other jobs or other careers have like these points where things don't go very well and being able to actually stand there and be like, okay, I want to try this route anyway. That that sounds useful to me. I don't know. I I definitely do not have a lot of experience um, on other careers, but I like to talk, you know, when people tell me about their experiences, I like to hear a lot. I think that's, I think there are commonalities and I think you strike me as someone who's very like, at least like, keeping an open year to like how other people are living their lives and you're able to um, show some level of empathy and like understanding for other people. So I think that's like really good to combine the views. But having said that, um, did you have any dark times when you were climbing your mountain where you felt like, like maybe this is it? Like, for example, right? Uh, I'll use a really bad, this might be a terrible analogy, but in tennis, like maybe you reach a certain level as a player, you realize you have to reconstruct your your serve, you have to reconstruct um, your basic fundamentals because what got you here is not going to get you there. Like, did you ever have moments like that when you're climbing the mountain where you really started to question what you had to do or you kind of felt like you had to take like two steps back in order to take three steps forward? Well, first, when I was a jungle player before I quit Magic for the first time, I felt like I had peaked in a way. I was like, well, I can be good, but these players are just like too much better than I am. Like I knew. I, I, I made two top 16s in PTs, but there were like situations where I got very lucky and had the right deck or whatever. Like I just felt like they were better than I am. That's it, you know? Like I felt like giving up or whatever. But then when I came back to to Magic, I actually had some of these uh, situations actually. And the biggest one for me was when I joined MTG Gaming Card. Uh, you know, uh, on under the orders of Li Shitian. And I was there, I was gold, I just had made gold pro, which was like top 50 of the, top fifty players in the world, right? Top 60. Like, I was good, you know, by, by local uh, standards. And we would just sit down and draft and play games of Constructed, and every single player there was be- considerably better than me. Like, I would just feel like so outmatched 
And then I would be like, okay, this is just like, I, I, I felt like that wasn't acceptable. Like, how can I, you know, because I was on a, well, I got gold, which was actually better than I thought I would get, right? Because remember, mm -hmm. I was trying to qualify for one PT. And then I, I started chaining PTs and I was silver pro and was like, wow, silver is great. I got to gold, which was like the goal because that mean that meant like playing more PTs. So it was good. And then I was like, well, this is just like these guys are much better. I, it definitely crossed my mind that I will never be able to play as well as those players. But I, I also felt, as you said, like I will probably have to be like, okay, my foundations are probably not good. Like, because the only reason, the only way, like, these players are so much better than I am is because my foundations are not very good. So I started to like, mm, and I'm playing different Mulligan, definitely playing a Mulligan more. Also, like I just had to readjust a lot of things. That I had considered like, you know, this is how it is. This is how you Mulligan. Well, I was wrong. Not only because, well, I was wrong at considering things like that static. There's no way like you can actually define easily how to Mulligan in Magic, right? Or how to play the situations. I also learned that, for example, like learning this was uh, something I, I learned in that that period of time. Like there, there's no hard rules in Magic that you have to follow every time, which obviously is trickier with this. Like you know, at the beginning of the talk, we said about like the um, this trying to the models the situations. Or... yeah, okay, right. So this this got in a big. No, I mean you this. need heuristics, but you have to also understand heuristics can be fluid, and there may be different. You might he apply heuristic A right now, where it should be heuristic B. So there, there could be some differences. Exactly. So for me, this was a not a huge breakout in a way, but it was a big change from in the inside. Like I, I started to think of magic a little bit differently, just playing with these players. That was a big moment for me, especially because, you know, I needed for me to go through this. I needed to perceive myself as like, you know, I know how to play now. Like I'm kind of good, mm. but it turns out that was not. <laughs> It's that juxtaposition of confidence, but at the same time, humility. Like you need both in a way. You need confidence and you need to be humble. Like you can't, like they almost have to exist in the same space. It's something that really struck me when I listened to your, um, your year-end podcast episode. Uh, I don't know if you remember this. Like you, you guys were talking about your favorite 2023 cards. And it was just a discussion around like, the one ring, is it like, I think it was your favorite card. Like, should it be a four of, or should it be a three of? And then there was also another discussion, like Bowmasters, like, do you play four in modern or do you play three? And I thought it was so interesting because I feel like 99% of magic players would just say, yeah, just play four. But I feel like there's a certain level you, you get as a player when you're at that certain level, you start to, um, to borrow Sam Black's phrase. You start to challenge assumptions and you start to like, almost start to break it down again because um i don't know how to describe it like it's just like i i feel like a lot of like magic players they're so confident but then what it, i can clearly tell from you and antonio like once you reach that super high level then you start to almost become more flexible in that confidence doesn't mean you're not confident but like you're 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 constantly thinking about things right yes like i think that that's a little bit of an extension of what i said before but like it's important to be able to maintain this mindset where you can be wrong. Like that's something I, I think what was Brad Nelson taught me in a way where he was like, I was like, well, but you're good at these. And if I cannot trust you in this decision in the standard deck building, who can I trust? Because you're Brad Nelson, right? And I was like, listen, uh, like just have, you just have to make sure you adopt every step you make. Like every decision you make in a, in a deck, 
it could be wrong. And you have to never stop doing this because the second you do it, you can actually, you know, walk into a trap. And you will never know if the trap is like a killer for a tournament, right? So you have to make sure everything you decide can be wrong. And that's not only deck building, but also like, you know, archetype distribution or even gameplay. Like sometimes you're going to be a play and you're like, well, maybe this play I've made 200 times is not the right one. What if there was another play that, you know, maybe 1% of the time is right. Let's see if I can find it, you know. And I definitely think that's also something a lot of the, you know, best players do often. Like, they are like, well, let's see if there's something different here because I might be wrong on all these assumptions. So going forward, what are your, um, do you have any goals for this year? Or do you have any, um, if not goals or just just process-related things you want to, work on i guess well, we, my, we touched my... on one of them which is technical play but yeah exactly well the the big things for me is like one getting a little bit better on technical play as i said in the podcast uh and two you know just like keep enjoying the game like keeping this enjoyment i have with magic now like this i think i have a good relation with the game now like i think i, I work a lot for tournaments but i also play a healthy amount i also take a small break after pts just keeping this like very healthy and fun balance with magic because I'm enjoying this a lot. After after um the COVID situation, you know, the remove the pro system, the MPL, I felt like maybe it was time to just move on, you know, get a, another career and just move on, do something different. But now I'm just enjoying this map playing a lot of magic and the PT so much that I just want to keep doing it. And that's only true because I'm having a good relationship with the game in that regard. So I want to keep it that way. Not play too much. To burn out, not play like low enough that I don't feel prepared in the tournament. Just like just play the round amount. And in terms of goals, my goal, I'm actually a simple man on that. I would like to be qualifying for the PT. Like my goal is to qualify again. Like ideally qualify for Worlds, but if it's not, I just keep be, keep keep the qualifications for the PT. Which is, it sounds like not a lot, but it is actually not that easy as well. Like you have to do well in the PTs which are the hardest tournaments. So, but yeah, I, I don't like the um, results goals so much. So mm-hmm. I think... You don't, you don't want to say like top eight of PT or no, something th- like that. It, it's not only that I don't want to say it. It's just I don't, I don't think it. Like if the end, the year ends and I qualify for the PT next year's, that's fine. Like I, I, that's a good year for me anyway. Like I don't, I don't think I need to top eight of PT for a year to be good in Magic. As long as I'm qualified for more Magic next year, that's... I'm really happy with that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. As long as the train keeps going or the, the thing keeps running. Exactly. Like this train is giving me happiness. So I just want to keep it working for as long as I can. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Five questions with Javier Dominguez. What's the best or most memorable magic play you made? Yeah. I mean, I don't know about the best because the best plays was probably made like in random tournaments, but the most, the first thing, the first one that came to mind was playing against Kowalski in the Minerva Draft, where I got to Shiva and fire a 3-5. I attacked with a 5-3 Trampler, he blocked with a 3-5, and he just cast a Shiva and fire, and his creature just did a little damage to him. Uh, he was like on 13, or 14 or something, and I don't remember the details, but he ended being like critical to win the game. I think that, that, that was a cool play. I don't really have like that many awesome plays which probably means i don't make them often like I'm it probably, probably like, just means you make player. too many plays right it's really hard to single out one I, no i, I think imagine. it's more like i'm not very good at spotting like great lines or 
you know, like seek bluffs. I am more, I will say, like just a solid player. I try to not. Sometimes the straightforward too. play is the, or most of the time, the straightforward play is just the best one. Yeah, I will say I am a little bit like that. I don't think I have like any any great like, wow, this is the best play ever. I'm not that kind of player, unfortunately. <laughs> no, no problem. Okay, the next one. What's the worst magic play you ever made, and what did you learn from it? Hmm. Well, the first one that comes to mind is when I was actually young. Uh, it was like a PT Los Angeles, I think, extended 2004 or something like this. That's uh, almost three years ago. I was playing a tooth and nail splashing counter spells and fire ice, and I decided to fire ice uh, Sensei's Divining Top, which you can tell did not go very well for me. I did learn it's hard to interact with Sensei's Divining Top. I was like, <laughs> I was there like, I mean, like, I cannot believe I just did Fire Ice and Sensei's Divining Top. Like, how, how this is like, how, how does, you know, I was so bad. And I actually lost the game because of it, because I will draw like due to the nail and turn after and I didn't. It was like a complete disaster. <laughs> okay. Live and learn, I guess. Yeah. What is the biggest magic level up moment for you? Well, my biggest moment level up in terms of like how hard it was, it was definitely what I told before about like, you know, joining MTG, Mean Car, where everyone was better than me when I was a gold player. Like, I that must be the, the moment where I actually learned the most in less time because they were also very helping. Like, every one of them will be willing to help me get better. And, you know, for this, I will be grateful forever. But definitely, definitely that era. Yeah. That was a real push to, to improve and work on your game, it sounds like. Who's the magic player that's had the biggest influence on you and why? Probably the, the realistic one is probably Anthony because he's been there for, you know, different situations. But Anthony Lee, a.k.a. Yeah. Antonio. Okay. Yeah, but overall in the career, uh, because I knew, I met him a little bit later, probably Marcio Carvalho because he's not only the one that actually made me play Limited much better back in the day, but also he kind of believed I would become good at magic before than anyone else in a way like he he kept saying to me like you know i think you can be good i think you can be good he even i mean we won a team gp but he called me like you know i think you're good and i want a team with you for the gp like he believed me and knowing he's so good actually you know gave me confidence in some because some days i was like I cannot be good at magic even if I try a lot, you know. And he will be a person there like, you know, I'm good, trust me, I'm telling you, you can be good. And that's uh, that's actually... He helped me a lot in technical level, but honestly, the confidence he gave me in some situations where I did not have any confidence at all definitely shaped a lot how I could play back in the day, like 2016 or whatever, 17, these years. Did you guys ever talk about why he saw the potential in you or why he was confident in you a little bit but he's one of these players where if you ask what why he plays better he says like because Intuitive. it's better just you knows know? so he's okay. actually just knows like, that you have potential because yeah. he does know yeah exactly so <laughs> that's the kind of answer i will get <laughs> I, i'm curious if you saw maybe something in him in you or something like that I, who knows yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's hard to tell. He's. I, I will say resilience is something he value a lot. But yeah, it's it's hard to tell. I I, I definitely try to get you know him some information, but he'll be like, you know, I just I don't know. I just see it. 
What's your favorite magic-related travel story? I mean, it's not really travel. It's not really a travel story, but for me, it's when other people travel to my place. You know, because I oh live... yes, you host a uh... yeah. Okay. I live in Barcelona, so it's like I remember for PT PT Hogak, uh, PT Hogak. <laughs> I think it's supposed to be Modern Horizon. Like for example, I had Sen and Mengu and Anthony Liam at home for two weeks with my family. So we were all living together and, you know, I will try to show them like the actual more local uh, food things and how we actually live here in Spain, you know, because for New Zealand and Australian players, it's different. Or this actual, this last summer after PT Lord of the Rings, I invited whoever on my team wanted to be here with me at my place for like four or five days so I can actually show them how we actually live here because it's different when you go to tourism, right? That if you go to someone's places for like some days to see how they actually live there, it's not exactly a traveling thing, but for me, when people travel to your place and you show them, it, it gives me joy as well. So and it comes, it, it's the first thing, first thing that came to mind when you asked this. So I think that's the answer. So you enjoy being a host? I do, actually. Yeah, I think I get this, like, old man vibe or something. But I do, I do, I do enjoy being a host. Like, when there's a tournament or GP or whatever in my place, I like bringing friends here and just taking them to places or whatever, yeah. Now I remember, I think Wizards uh, actually did a video on you and uh, your, your friendship with Mangu. Uh, and also your hosting um, capabilities, like, a few years back. Um, was that video accurate? Did it capture what it was really like yes and actually that, that actually wasn't that week like that, those two weeks where we were at home that was when they actually made the video i think it was a summer and yeah i just then again it used to be joy so i'm i'm gonna be doing it as as long as i can like even if i don't play the tournament because last year there was again a grand qualifier here in barcelona i did not play i still you know had like four friends at my place and i just you know taking them to places and that was still very fun to me all right, Javier, thank you so much for your time, man. It's a pleasure talking to you, and uh, I wish you all the best for you know 2024 and uh, going forward. Thanks a lot, James, and I'm glad you, you keep doing this podcast because I think it's, uh, I mean, I, I've I told you before, I actually hear it, and I think you're doing a very good job. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Humans of Magic. You've made it to the end. Thanks so much. You're awesome. If you'd like to support the show, there are two ways to do so. The first way is the most powerful. Tell a friend. Tell them to check out Humans of Magic. I'd love it if you could spread the word. The second way is to join the Humans of Magic Patreon at patreon.com slash humansofmagic. Patreon is the best way to directly support the show from a financial perspective. For as little as $2 a month, you can support me and join the Discord. It gives me the power to keep cranking out new episodes with your favorite magic people. If you want to go the $5 support route, you'll get a digital copy of the Humans of Magic book. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you, as always, making it all the way to the end, and we'll see you next time.